Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I want you to read with me. Second chapter of Luke this morning. Praise the Lord. Luke, uh, obviously um, not one of the apostles, um, writing to more of the Gentile world. Uh, Luke was more of a physician, so we know physicians can be very detail-oriented and like to give a lot of specifics, a lot of details, and uh, what they do when they uh, diagnose us and see us. And as you read through the book of Luke, you can see this um, kind of just uh, describe the book of Luke. He, he really goes into a lot of detail. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8, obviously a passage that most of us probably almost quote that we've heard so often. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse number 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold... An angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to just the Jewish people. Wrong? Which will be to all people, praise the Lord. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. As I said, this is going to be a a little bit of a different message. Um, How many of you know that pastors are weird? Thank you. Stephanie, put your hand down, please. (laughs) Pastors are weird. Every once in a while, I mean, I'll be driving down the road and just a thought will hit me and I'll get my phone out with the recorder and I'll record it so that I don't lose that thought. Louise, you know I'm talking about Dick and the rest of you who have spoken and uh, you know what that's like. So this is one of those thoughts that hit me. Hopefully it comes out in a way that's, (laughs) <laughs> understandable. Um, today and a little bit next time, actually on Christmas, the 25th, I want to talk about the signs of Christmas. The signs of Christmas. And I want us to focus on verse 12 of what we just read. Verse 12. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The signs of Christmas. How do we know that Christmas is near? Well, all you have to do is just look around. It's all around, isn't it? Um, you go into the department stores, you go into Kohl's, you go into the malls, and uh, you go into the grocery stores, and it's, you can't help but notice Christmas is here. From the decorations to the music that you hear, uh, um, Steph and I, we, yeah, we went down to Kentucky last week to be with Emma, and that, thank you, Dave, for mentioning that. She is doing well, so thank you for your prayers. Um, but we turned on satellite radio and just listened to the, you know, the traditional Christmas music, and it's, it's everywhere. 
Um, you can't go anywhere without he- hearing or seeing Christmas TV specials. Our houses uh, in, in the front yards, the signs are all around us. If you think about it, we live in a world that is surrounded by signs. Signs can be a good thing, reminding us of things, highlighting things that we need to pay attention to, warning us of things that we need to be reminded of and as potential dangers. Think about the signs, the traffic signs that we pass every day trying to get our attention. There's the stop sign and uh, the children crossing railroad tracks warning us that there's danger potentially ahead, detour ahead, speed limits. The signs are all around. And for some of you, they're just suggestions, right? <laughs> I know some of you, they're just suggest suggestions. I watch it over here. Um, so, but they really are meant to help us. Signs as we pass businesses and churches. Why do we have a sign in our front yard? Why not just a building? We want to let people know who we are. And as Tom said, we want to let people know that we are associated with each other. You are my people, and I am yours. Signs for school crossing, political signs that have been in the yard, and hopefully they're down. I haven't seen as many of them. Warning labels on everything today from toddler's toys to warning this coffee is hot. All meant to do one thing, get our attention, communicate a message that is perfectly clear. And if you think about it, signs give us clarity. They give us direction. They give us guidance and assurance. As a matter of fact, we want to be so sure of everything in life that we have a hard time functioning whenever we do not have these assurances to help us daily. When God told Moses that he was supposed to go back to Egypt to lead some two plus million people out of Egypt, Moses needed a little reassuring. He told God, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? And God said, if that happens, then take the staff and throw it down. It'll turn into a serpent. Take it up again, it will return back to the staff. Or take your hand, put it in your cloak, and when you take it out, it will become white as a leper's hand. Then you can put it back and it will be restored. These were all things that were meant to be signs to Moses, to the Egyptians, to the Israelites. As humans, we too want to be in control. We want to have assurances all throughout life. We have a deep need to be absolutely sure of everything in life. It's our way of maintaining control. And if we can't be sure of something, many times we'll not do it. I mean, how many times have we said things like, God, can you just give me a sign? Can you just write it out for me, God? God, just show me if I'm supposed to marry this person. I remember when Stephanie and I were dating, um, and then um, I was not sure myself. You, Some of you, many of you know this story, and so... I would say we broke up, but really she would say, no, you broke up with me. Um, But we parted ways, and because I was not sure, I needed a sign. 
I needed something or someone to just knock me over the head to say she is the one. God, give me a sign on if I'm supposed to go to this college or should I take this job or should I buy this house? Should I buy this car? Lord, I just need to know. Lord, I I need some kind of assurance. What about Christmas? What's the message behind Christmas and how can we be sure its message is true? I know I'm talking to the choir here this morning, so to speak, but uh, we all are surrounded every day by people who don't have our assurances. Um, Some of you work every day with people who don't have the assurance that you and I have. But let's face it, the tenets of the Christmas story, the tenets of Christianity can be rather bold. Let's take this picture here. I mean, there is an omnipotent God sent, here's the story, here's our story, an omnipotent God sent his one and only son to the earth in the form of a baby. This infant was all human yet all divine. This baby would live a sinless life, die on a cross, claiming to pay the penalty for your sins and my sins and the sins of all humanity. Three days after his death, he would rise again, giving us the victory over death, hell, and the grave. I mean, folks, that's some pretty bold statements. Jesus himself made some pretty bold statements about himself. For he said, I am... Did he say, I am a way? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There are over 22 major religions in the world. And there are many offshoots from those religions. How does one know for certain if there is the right way? How do we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Are there signs? Proving that this really is true. I was watching a show the other day that um, um, they had an atheist on their show. And uh, believe it or not, this time of year is a big time for the atheist. You wouldn't think so, would you? But they take a lot of their resources, a lot of money, and they put it into advertising, into billboards. And here's a couple of what their billboards say. Look at this one. You may have seen this one before. Go ahead and skip church. Just be good, for goodness sake. Happy holidays. Here's the latest one, and this is the one that the atheist was advertising. Make Christmas great again. Skip church. Isn't that sad? I have someone right now that I'm praying for that, who is an atheist. How do you pray for an atheist? Have you thought of that? kind of goes back to what we talked about in the title of our message. God, show them. God, open their eyes. Lord, give them a sign. Help them to see that there really is a God. We ask God to reveal himself to them. Folks, there are doubters all over the place. 
I mean, if God could just give us a sign every day, it would just make us so much easier. We talked about the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, in which he led the Israelites. And wow, wow, what a sign, you know. I know of an individual right now, a young individual, raised in an incredible Christian home where the message of Jesus not only has been taught, but has been lived out. Yet this individual is having doubt. They're beginning to ask themselves if all of this Jesus stuff is true. Now, it's understandable for someone to ask those questions, not having been raised in a Christian home. But this individual has been raised in a deeply spiritual, active Christian home. They're even asking if Jesus really ever truly existed. And if he did, how can we know for sure? You see, all down through history, church, mankind has doubted. At every turn of Jesus' earthly ministry, the religious leaders were asking for a sign. In Matthew chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, you can listen. Matthew 12 says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. If you go over to chapter 16, Verse 1 and 4, Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Jesus said in verse 4, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. So I ask you again this morning, are there any signs of Christmas? Is there anything that we can look at that will prove that Jesus was the Messiah? Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel. Is there anything that we can look at that shows us that Jesus really is who he says he is? Let's look at some areas this morning. There are about five or six things I just want to hit on real quick this morning. Like I said, a little bit of a different message, but the first one are the prophecies. Prophecies. The first one that we can look at is the prophecy that the Messiah would be born of the virgin. Born of a virgin. Isaiah, speaking of which, Isaiah 7.14, popular verse. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. (laughs) Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. This has been fulfilled in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. Jumping to verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. The book of Isaiah was written six to seven hundred years before this came to fruition. Next, The time of his birth. 
I won't go into all the nuances of this, and, and, and we can study this at some other time, but Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and, and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The streets shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. This was fulfilled in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinus was governing Syria. This gives specific references to a time and a place in history. Next, we can see that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. We see this in Micah verse chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphrath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. This is fulfilled in Luke chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. How about the Messiah that would later in life would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver? Zechariah 11.12 says, Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. This is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 and 15. Let me get there. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. You know this story, but I'm reading it from the Bible specifically. And said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. One more that I'll give you. The prophecy that the Messiah would be crucified with criminals. This is seen in Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore I would divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is revealed in Mark chapter 15 verses 27 and 28. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture would be fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. I mentioned this a few years ago in a message, but I believe it's um, pertinent for today's message, and it bears repeating. There are over 300 Old Testament passages, Old Testament prophecies that refer to the Messiah. 48 give specific details regarding his life, his death, and his resurrection. Someone once did a study on the law of probability uh, that you just take 17 of those 48 passages. Just take 17, actually, of the 300 passages, and that what are the chances that all 17 prophecies, not just coming true, but that all 17 prophecies 
all refer to just one individual that has lived through history or lived in history. They said that would just be one chance for all of just 17, not all 300, but just out of 17 to refer to one individual and for them all to come true with that one individual. They said that would be one chance in this number right there. Or, in other words, one chance in 480 billion times 1 billion times 1 trillion. Folks, that's just 17 out of the 300 passages. Those are numbers that you can take with you to work when you're around the water cooler and you can give somebody some really neat information. You see, even prophecies can be a sign of Christmas. Some of you want to write all that down. Get with me after service. We won't stay there. Next, archaeology. This is really fascinating to me. Archaeology, um, if anything, does it support or does it deny this word? Does it support or deny the things that we read in God's word? We know that the book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus. There is an ossuary. An ossuary back in the first century A.D., when someone would die, and even B.C. as well, when someone would die and uh, they would decay, once just the bones remained, they would take a, a box like this, about that, about that big, and they would put all of the bones in this little mini... Actually, there's a picture of it right there. It's like a mini coffin, okay? That's called an ossuary. And the family members would just take that and they would have the ossuary or they would bury that somewhere. They believe to have found the ossuary of James. For there is an ossuary that says this quote right here. This is James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. Isn't that cool? In John chapter 5, verse 2, you don't have to go there. It says, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate... A pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. What is the portico? A portico is just basically a porch. Um, it's just a porch. It's, a, it's, a, it's an exit. It's an entryway that leads to uh, other areas in the area. There have been archaeological digs in Jerusalem that have revealed where the sheep gate are at, and they have found these porches. And guess how many porches have been found around the sheep gate? Five. There has been an ossuary of a first century criminal who was crucified under Roman rule. And in it they discovered this. Here's a picture of it right here. A ankle bone with a seven inch spike going through it. These are all things that even archaeology can be a sign of Christmas. That knowing that what we have read and what we have believed all down through the years is true, but there's more. What about biblical accuracy? Biblical accuracy can be secured by looking at manuscripts that have been produced down through the years. Manuscripts are just simply copies of an original. Copies of an original document. And more accurate manuscripts there are, the more there are, the better. The more credibility there is. You take the works of the ancient Plato, there are seven manuscripts for the work of Plato. Ten manuscripts for the account of Caesar's galactic wars. Twenty manuscripts for the historian Tacitus. 
his works. These ancient works of literacy are deemed highly reliable and used extensively in the academic world today. How does the Bible stack up with these great works of literacy? Do you know that we have over 10,000 manuscripts of the Bible? 10,000 manuscripts or portions of the manuscripts. The Dead Sea Scrolls alone have produced over 600 Old Testament manuscripts. Now, manuscripts are only good if they have stayed true to the original. When comparing these manuscripts, are they the same? Have they changed down through the history? When comparing all of the biblical manuscripts with each other down through history, they have found that there is a 99.5% rate of accuracy with all of the manuscripts. That just blows my mind. You see, even biblical accuracy can become a sign of Christmas. Showing that the story of Jesus from his birth to his resurrection is as accurate as any ancient document ever produced. How about ancient historians? Do they give us any kind of backing? Cornelius Tacitus, I referred to him earlier. He is a famous first century Roman historian. He tells how Christ lived in his writings. He tells how Christ lived and was executed by the Roman procurator Pontius Pilate. Many of you have heard about Flavius Josephus. He was a Jewish historian who lived back in 37 to 100 A.D. And he wrote this in his writings, quote, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to even call him a man. For he was a doer of surprising feats. Isn't that interesting? This written in the same time period, or not long after Jesus lived. He was a doer of surprising feats. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles, He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day. As the divine prophets foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him and the tribe of Christians, you and I are called tribe, you know that? And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day. Even the ancient testimonies of ancient historians can become a sign, proof. Christmas. Number five, ever think about just the healings and the miracles of Jesus? Let me read this in John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs. Interesting word that they used, isn't it? When they saw the signs which he did. Look, there can be nothing more powerful than the stories of those who have experienced wonders and miracles in their life. 
Again, I could go around the room and many of you could tell me about your miraculous events. I counted 77 accounts of miracles performed by Jesus just in the Gospels. Not one story in all of history has ever emerged as being false. I know of no reports where one of the recipients of Jesus' miracles has ever said that it never happened. John chapter 5, verse 36, Jesus says, But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that He sent me. In essence, what Jesus was saying is that His teachings and that His miracles were all confirmations. They were evidences. They were proofs. They were assurances. They were signs that He truly was the Son of God. You see, even the miracles of Jesus can become signs. And I have one more this morning. We can even look at the nativity story story, and see it as a sign. Knowing that the Bible is, and its manuscripts are 99.5% accurate and true, even the nativity story becomes a sign. Think about it. A young Jewish girl is visited by an angel. Now let's just face it. If someone, and I've had people come up to me and tell me this, if someone comes up to you and they begin to tell you about an angel that visited them, what's your first thought about that person? Whatever you say. Yep. That's okay. Yep. You know. But in essence, here's a young girl. We don't know exactly the age of Mary, but extremely young girl. Being told that she would conceive a child through the Holy Spirit. And then it actually happening. Modern day scientists can do amazing things with artificial reproduction, but they cannot do anything like what the Holy Spirit did. Let's just take the story of Joseph, a man who was extremely troubled because he truly loved this girl Mary and wanted to take her as his wife. And he's extremely troubled because he found out she was with child and trying to put her away with dignity and respect, yet he too was visited by an angel. He straightened everything out for him. Tell him that it was okay to take Mary as his wife, and he even told her when he went to Mary, he told Mary of what had happened, and and, uh, he even told Mary, he told me what to even name this child, and Mary says, he told me too, what name did he tell you? Well, it's a name we've never really heard of before. It's just kind of obscure. So now we have two witnesses. Joseph said his name was to be called Jesus. Mary's like, his name was to be called Jesus. That's what he told me as well. We can look at the shepherds. The shepherds were some of the lowest in society. Looked upon without much respect. They too were visited by an angel. This, this angel declares that the day that they and the Jews, for many hundreds and hundreds of years, the day that they have looked for had finally come for the Messiah had been born. And as if that was not enough, in the nighttime sky it was lit up like it was midday. See, we, we hear these stories, but do you really believe they happened? I believe that they did. 
This midday sky was lit, it was lit up as the midday sky, and a multitude of angels declare glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And then how can we forget the wise men? Have you ever looked up, I have, have you ever looked up in the sky and you've seen a plane way off in the distance and you wonder to yourself, I wonder where that plane's going? It's just at least that little trail of residue behind uh, the plane. I've just often thought, I wonder where they're going. I don't know about these wise men, and the Bible doesn't give us specifically a time frame whenever they came. Uh, I believe it was a good while after Jesus, after Jesus was born. But these wise men must have been men looking after God. And one day they saw a star, just one star. I mean, I mean, all the stars that you see in the sky, and there was one star that they picked out of the sky. They could not take their eyes off of it. And they left probably days, weeks, months, who knows? It could have been a year or two they were traveling. They had a premonition to follow the star, and they did not stop until they found the infant. See, the nativity story can even be a sign. You see, folks, all that we've talked about today, the ancient prophecies, even archaeology, biblical accuracy, the writings of ancient historians, the stories of Jesus and his healings and the miracles, even the events surrounding the nativity story, all have become signs of Christmas things that you can go out to your family and friends and talk about. Say, did you ever think about these things? And perhaps today I've helped bolster your faith just a little bit. That our story isn't just a, and I've said this many times, I'm not going to say it again. Pay attention to what the world says this time of year is all about. This time of year is just all about the spirit of Christmas, the spirit of giving, the just being with family and friends and being thankful and being grateful. That's what you're going to hear on the Hallmark stories. That's what the movies, that's what you're going to hear everywhere. That's not the message of Christmas. Linus in Charlie Brown's Christmas tells the story of Christmas. That's one of the only shows that I know has the guts to read the gospel of Jesus Christ on major television. That's the story of Christmas. That is not too good to be true. But in fact, Jesus truly is the Messiah born to take away the sin of the world. And there's a however coming here, and then I close. There is more. There's one main element that I'm going to talk about in two weeks. There's still one more sign that I believe is the greatest sign of them all. The greatest sign of Christmas. Something I think will just kind of bring all this together and tie all this together. But because God's signs of Christmas are everywhere, we need to tell it to everybody. We need to tell it to a lost and a dying world. And so this morning, I want us to end with the classic hymn, uh, Luis uh, 
come up. Uh, Mandy, if you could come up and lead us to turn to page 176. We're going to sing this classic hymn. Because the signs are all around us. We need to go tell it on the mountain. We need to tell everyone, everywhere. These things that I talked about today are facts. Things that should bolster our faith. For a sign will be given unto you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. What is your sign today? Let me pray with you. Father, Again, a different type message this morning, but Lord, I thank you that we can come here together. And I asked the question earlier, why? Why do we come here? Why do we get up on cold, blustery mornings and go out? And it's because we have a common God. We have a common Savior that brings us all together. We want to come together. And yeah, your word says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but we come so that we can sing. We come so that we can give. We we come so that we can give testimony and praise and honor and glory to you. We come with those who are like-minded. God, we need each other. We desperately need each other. And we need to hear each other's testimonies. But God, we need to hear your word as well. God, we, we have dove into your word often this morning. God, it's proof. Signs. There are assurances. God, we could sing blessed assurance. (laughs) Jesus is mine. But I thank you, Lord, that we can walk out of here this morning knowing that we know that we know that we know. As we sang earlier, Jesus, you are the Messiah. There is no name above the name Jesus, Yeshua, Emmanuel. Lord, we come back next week as we celebrate more with our kids. And Lord, on Christmas Day, the 25th, we find out what one last sign is. Thank you, God. Lord, help us to tell a world. Go tell it on the mountain. Tell it at work. Tell it at the gas station. Tell it at the grocery store. Tell people what we have experienced in our hearts. Jesus Christ is not only born, but Jesus the Christ, the Savior of the world, has come. Thank you for the glorious truth that we have to hold on to this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please? Let's end singing.